You're going where? You're doing what? Are you crazy, Aunt Tam? Make sure you subscribe. Welcome to Many Roads Traveled. I'm Tamara, and I have one question for you. Do you love to travel? Awesome! Well, then I invite you to join me on my 30,000-mile road trip from Paris to Cape Town back to Nairobi. One more thing. We'll be traveling back in time to 1993 before the internet, Google Maps, and cell phones. However, not to worry because I do give you up-to-date info on each episode. Plus, you can always find more information on my website, manyroadstravel.com. So without further ado, let's hit the road. Okay, welcome to episode 54 and I'm back. <laughs> Sorry about my extended little time off. That wasn't planned, but just really busy with uh, my other online business. So anyways, I hope you've had a great summer. Now, after my last episode <laughs> where I got lost overnight in the Drakensberg Mountains in South Africa, which I definitely don't recommend, it was not fun, rather scary, and cold and wet. However, as usual, I survived. <laughs> And now we're heading into Lesotho, which is my, well, it's a new country, and it would be country number 27 on this trip, and the 18th African country. So I'm still in the Drakensbergs, because Lesotho is pretty much like an island almost, in the middle of the Drakensbergs in South Africa. And it's its own kingdom. And it's a sweet, like, lovely little country, maybe the size of Belgium. 2 million population, so it's pretty small. Anyways, so yeah, coming up in this episode, another mishap in the mountains. <laughs> Honestly, how I'm still alive just from this first trip, I do not know. As well as we're going into the Free State in South Africa, so I'm going back into South Africa, and going to Johannesburg. Okay, and we'll also be covering 560 miles during this episode, taking us up to 26,100 miles. So we're kind of on the back end, and obviously I'm on my way back up to Nairobi after taking me, you know, it took me almost a year to the date to get from Paris to Cape Town. Anyway, so I left Sandy Pass Lodge where I was, where I got lost. And I was able to, because my plan was I wanted to try and hitch as much as possible back up from Durban, South Africa to Nairobi. So, so far, so good. And I managed to hitch a ride from Sandy Pass to the border at Lesotho border. No problem there. Got my visa, got into Lesotho. But because, like I said, there's hardly any traffic. So I had to wait hours and hours to get to the top of the mountain where I was. there was a lodge up there that I wanted to stay at. Finally, after hours of waiting, I managed to get a, a ride with the two custom guys because <laughs> the border had closed. So they took me up. It was like eight kilometers, pretty much straight up the mountains until I got to Sani Pass Lodge. I was at the chalet last time. So this is the lodge. And it was it was pretty big, actually. And I mean, it's cold in Lesotho. This is the coldest I'd been for months and months. So I had like a sweatshirt and a rain jacket. That's about it because I've been in the heat for so long. Anyways, luckily there was a big fireplace inside the lodge. So that was nice. And it was run by this lovely local lady called Elizabeth. She was very sweet. And there's only me and a Finnish couple there. So pretty much had the run of the place to ourselves, which is great. I managed to get my own room. 
So the next morning I was like, well, I'm not done with these Drakensberg Mountains. <laughs> so I set off for about, it was about a six or seven kilometer hike to get to one of the peaks in the mountains. So I think it's about 3,300 meters. I mean, all of Lesotho is minimum a thousand meters above sea level. So <laughs> the whole country, like I said, they call it the kingdom in the sky. And it's absolutely breathtaking. Like everywhere you look is just beautiful. So it literally is just green mountains and valleys. <laughs> Not a lot of people. So yeah, so I went for this walk. It was absolutely beautiful. I walked for about four hours. No mishaps so far, which was great. Did get lost. <laughs> Took some photos, you know, just was just enjoying the nature. Like I said, it's so beautiful. And then on my way back, I was kind of on the top of the last valley to get down to the lodge. And I noticed a couple of stone rendezvous. So like little stone huts, which I assume like that's where the shepherds and you know herdsmen kind of stayed, right? So I'm, you know, didn't see anyone. I'm walking along. Well, out of the blue, these two, I don't even know if they're wolves or dogs or what, but these huge dogs slash wolves just started barking their heads off and come in like tearing towards me. And I was just like, oh my God, I just froze. And... They like they lunged at me and they were super aggressive. Like I knew I was in trouble. So there's no, you know, don't run, whatever I do. So I just stood in the same spot. And then the one who I'd named Jaws and Killer, <laughs> the dogs, just off my head. So Killer like literally lunged at me to bite me, like on my ass. And I managed to like just kind of jump out of the way the last second. And he managed to, like, he ripped my shorts on my butt and and broke my skin. So he did get, he did, like, nip me, slight bite. I mean, I was bleeding. So he, you know, <laughs> he got through. But it could have been a lot worse. If I hadn't have moved, he would have taken a chunk out of my butt for sure. And just, like, soon as he did that, and they're still, like I said, they're still barking their heads off at me. Luckily, one of the shepherds heard and came out of one of the rendezvous and whistled and called them back, thankfully, because... I was just thinking, oh my God, I'm going to be ripped to pieces by these crazy wolf dogs. <laughs> they kind of look like a half between a mastiff and a wolf. <laughs> so they were, like I said, very big. Oh my gosh. So, you know, and he kind of waved as it to say sorry. And I'm just basically having a heart attack. <laughs> just kind of going, okay, well, thanks for pulling them off me, basically. Oh my gosh. See, I can't even take a, just a simple walk <laughs> without incident. Went to the lodge, still like heart racing and just like another close call. I found Elizabeth and, you know, spoke to her and everything and explained. And she was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Da, da, da. So we just put some disinfectant on my bite. And I don't really know how to sew. <laughs> so she ended up stitching up my shorts for me, which was very nice. Patched those up, which was great because, you know, I've been on the road for over a year. I had very limited clothes and they were getting pretty worn down after a year on the road. Just stayed in for the night and stopped by the fire and, you know, just had dinner there and everything. So I really wanted to go to Thabuna National Park and climb, I think it was called Mount Thabuna. <laughs> I'm not sure. So it was like one of the, you know, obviously studying one of the highest mountains in that area. So that was my plan. But I'd also picked up a cold after probably my overnight stay in the cold and damp because it rained and everything. You have to listen to that last episode. <laughs> and so I wasn't feeling great. You know, whenever I get sick, my blood illness kicks in. So therefore I'm like, so I'm achy and swollen. I 
information, all that everywhere, right? So I wasn't feeling 100%. I've just had two crazy incidents in the mountains. And also I found out that this area, this national park, like there was no forestry offices, nothing. So if I got lost, and because I was on my own, which I obviously don't recommend to go hiking on your own, even though I have done it quite a few times. But, you know, if you can go with another traveler or a guide, do that. Do as I say, not what I do. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, so I thought if I got lost on this next, you know, hike, then I got no safety net at all. Because even when I got lost last time, there was I was staying at a ranger's park, so they knew I was there and they were about to send out a launch party the next morning if I hadn't got back, which I returned at like, I don't know, 4 or 5, 6 p.m. So, yeah. And like I said, the weather changes the drop of a hat. Can be crystal clear, blue sky, sunny. Literally a minute later, it's like foggy raining. You can't see anything. So I kind of thought, you know what? I spent a lot of time in the Drakensberg. So I think I'm going to give this climb a miss. And my gut said no. Always listen to your gut, whether you're traveling or not, but especially when you're traveling. So plan B was to head to Buta Buta, which is a town in Lesotho. And then from there, just kind of head on my way to Johannesburg. So the next morning, I noticed a pickup at the at the border because the, the lodge is really close to the border. So I walked over there and asked them if they can give me a ride to, you know, as close as possible to Buta Buta. And they were like, yeah, sure. So I was like, okay, great. So I grabbed my bag. And hopped in the back of the pickup, which was kind of one of my favorite ways to travel, actually, is <laughs> the back of pickups. And again, they happened to be like custom slash police officers that were driving me. So they took me to and they took me to Mokatlong, which was about two hours from where I was, near like Sandy Pass. Then they said, Well, where are you staying? And remember, I don't have a guidebook. <laughs> I haven't had a guidebook. Since I was traveling with Casey, who had one, and then Claire, who had one. But that was months ago. So I haven't had a guidebook. Occasionally, if I met travelers, I would borrow theirs. Because there really was only one, the Lowing Planet Africana Shoestring. So I'd borrow theirs if I, and then just take notes. But that was it, you know. And this is 1994 now, remember. <laughs> so no, no real internet, Google Maps, cell phones, none of that. I was literally winging this <laughs> completely. <laughs> so we got to Macadlong, and I... They'd said, oh, there's some cheap accommodation at this farming center, which was out of town. So they drove me out there. But I realized I was like, this is too far for me like to get into town and I have no food or anything like that. So I kind of need to stay more in town. I mean, the town was very small. <laughs> so they were like, OK, well, you could just pitch your tent in the like they had. A, there was this big front yard in front of the police station. So you can just pitch your tent there for the night. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's so random. This is the first and last time I've done that. And as I was getting my tent out, I realized the tent pole that I had tried to fix, well, I had fixed temporarily, I guess, with a bicycle inner tubing, had just completely snapped. It was just broken. So my dome two-man tent now looked like a teepee. <laughs> it wasn't good with rain in the first place, but now I was like, please don't rain because I just could get soaked. Anyway, so pitched my little tent up, my teepee, and it was just so weird, and I did feel really comfortable, even though I'm in front of a police station. <laughs> but a lot of police back then, you know, were a little bit dubious and could be easily bribed <laughs> for to do anything, to be honest. So I didn't really sleep, kind of just dozed on and off. And before I left on this trip, my uncle had given me a six-inch blade bone handle knife. 
so I literally slept with that right next to my hand the whole night. Well, not that I said I slept, it kind of dozed on and off because I just felt really exposed and yeah, not very safe or comfortable. Like I said, even though I'm right there, police is right there. But anyways, so didn't get much sleep, hit the road about 7.30 a.m. And I waited for a while on the road, but there's just no traffic because there's just really no no, no people. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'm going to have to bite the bullet and get the bus. That was fine. I got on a bus and actually a German guy who I had met at the Sandy Pass Chalet, so in South Africa, he was actually on the bus. So I was like, okay, cool. So he's called Michelle. So anyways, we got the bus and it took about six hours to get to Butu Buta, which is only 250 kilometers. <laughs> it took six hours because again, you're still in the mountains. So you're just up and down mountains and around them and valleys and all like absolutely like, you're not going to find more beautiful mountainous area. Like, it's stunning. Loved it, loved it, loved it. And then occasionally you'd see, like, dotted little villages spotted around, which were just, they just still live in these, like, stone huts. They're called rendezvous. Uh, so very traditional. You know, and they would, if they saw you, they'd wave. And because there just was not many travelers in Lesotho back then. And probably not that many now, even, especially with COVID. But, you know regardless of COVID. <laughs> and they just got around on horseback and they, just, they would dress like they kind of would always have their, their blankets wrapped around them just on these horses. So it was really cute. Although I, I was thinking, I'm like, how do these survive? Because you'd hardly, I hardly saw any crops, like maybe some small crop fields in the bottom of the valleys, but not every valley could do that. So I was just like, how do these people survive? And like, what do they live on and eat and stuff? So I never figured that out. So then from Buta Buta, which is, you know, slightly bigger town, I was trying hitching to get to the next town, but I was just surrounded by all these little kids, like super cute kids, but people, just, like the few cars there were just kept passing by because I don't know if they thought I was bringing all the kids with me too. <laughs> so I was kind of like, okay, kids, it's so cool to hang out with you, but maybe can you just give me a little space so I look like I'm by myself, but anyway, like didn't speak English so it was all cool I just was like well hopefully someone will stop soon which they did and I, so I got a ride to Laribe the next town over and then I got another ride to just outside Maputo I think that's the capital or just a bigger city I can't remember right now sorry I wasn't sure what I was doing but I decided okay I'm going to go to Fixburg so back into South Africa because someone had told me about this really cool kind of like a hippie commune slash hostel kind of place that I could stay there cheap and you know it was a very unique cool place so I was like okay I'll head there although I didn't know exactly where it was outside Fixburg because <laughs> again no guidebook so I must have written down the name of the place which was called Russell's Valley and the phone number luckily so I got to Fixburg and I was just trying to hitch to this place like hopefully whoever picked me up would know where it was because I didn't <laughs> uh, but to no avail so I kind of went I found a pay phone and phoned the place and this really nice who happened to be a Canadian girl answered Kim and she's like oh, okay tell me where you are and I'll come and get you and I was like all right awesome so she did that and found out there was two other Canadians working there too so that was really cool so there's three other Canadians besides myself and we finally got there at about 6.30 p.m. So I'd been on the road traveling for like 11 hours on really no sleep. So I was pretty tired. 
But it was an absolutely beautiful place in this Rustler's Valley, which is stunning, like all, they all were. But it was almost like, yeah, a hippie commune kind of thing. So people would just, you know, stay and they'd work and just help in the fields or cleaning or whatever, right? Cooking. And there was like pool table there and TV and VCR and pool with hammocks outside. It was just a beautiful spot. I was like, this is awesome. Plus, I hadn't met loads of travelers for a while. So it was really cool hanging out with them, or at least English-speaking ones. Still in the Drakensberg, but it's kind of like the tail end of them. And I ended up getting the dorm room to myself with an attached bathroom for three bucks a night. So <laughs> double bonus. So I just had dinner, which like soup and salad, and I had a beer. Then played some pool and just chatted with everyone that was there, which was really nice. And then hit the hay about 11 because I said it was absolutely knackered. And then I ended up just spending the, the weekend there. So we're on around day 420 now. I forgot to say that. <laughs> so I spent the weekend just chilling there because it was a beautiful place to relax. Like I said, by the pool and hammocks, just chatting people, playing pool, whatever. On the Sunday afternoon, I went horseback riding in the mountains, which was awesome. Even got galloping. So for about an hour or so, yeah, it was just awesome. It was just an R&R, which is what I needed. And then while I was there, I also met this really nice guy, Australian guy called Tim. And he uh, happened to own the Backpackers Ritz in Joburg, so, which was awesome. On the Monday, Tim was like, Monday morning, he's like, listen, I, I'm giving this Brazilian girl a ride to Joburg to stay at Backpackers Ritz. Do you want it to come along? I was like, yes, sounds awesome. <laughs> so we did that. Uh, say goodbye to everyone because I honestly felt like I was part of the staff or family, not a guest at all at Roasters Valley. It was so cool. And they were really trying to get me to stay because there was this big festival coming up, three-day festival, music festival. But it was still a couple weeks away. And I was like, no, I got to get on the road because I'm really low on money. And yeah, I've been on the road for <laughs> like a long time, <laughs> 420 days. I said my goodbyes to them. And my bill, my total bill for you know three nights all my meals at horseback riding and I bought a bracelet it was like less than 30 bucks so that was super sweet too and I got a ride to Joburg and stay at the Ritz so backpackers Ritz it took us about three hours to get to Joburg and Joburg's you know like a huge city right before I even got there I wasn't planning on staying there very long but I had to pick up a money order that I'd asked my mom to send me quite a while ago anyways so, yeah, I was going to kind of just be in Joburg for a short while. But the Backpackers Ritz was another lovely place. It had a pool as well and, lot, you know, a few other travelers. So that was really cool. And Tim was super nice. So it was, you know, cool hanging out with him. The next morning, I went to get my money order. And they're like, oh, well, it's in Cape Town. <laughs> Why is it in Cape Town? What? And they're like, yeah, you're going to have to go back to Cape Town. We can't send it here. I'm like, why? what? Why can't you send it here? I don't understand that. That's so weird. Because my mom had sent it, well, she was supposed to have sent it to Joburg. I think she did. So I'm like, I'm not going all the way back to Cape Town. This is crazy. And they said, well, the only other option is if you deposit into a bank account. I don't have a South African bank account, <laughs> so this is not helpful. So I get back to the hostel, to the Ritz, and spoke to Tim about it. And he's like, listen, don't worry. What we can do is put it in my bank account, and then I'll just take the cash out for you. I'm like, oh, my God, that'd be so awesome. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Obviously, I had to trust the guy, but I did that night because it was too late for them to do that now. So that night we went out into town. I didn't have a lot of money, so 
they all went for dinner. I just had a couple glasses of wine, <laughs> liquid diet. And then we went to this Mexican place called La Cadena's for a shot of tequila and margarita just to top the night off, which was fun. And then the next day, I just kind of relaxed by the pool, just waiting for Tim to go, you know, sort out this morning order and then the bank and all that stuff. Not a bad way to spend the day, just chilling by the pool with other travelers. So that was all right. And then Tim got back in the afternoon and he's like, yep, I got your money. So he gave me all the money, which was awesome. The next day I was heading out to get to Swaziland, which isn't even called Swaziland anymore. I can't remember the name of it right now, but I'm just going to call it Swaziland for now. However, you're going to have to listen to the next episode to hear about me getting to Swaziland from Joe Burke. And of course, there's going to be some other crazy stuff happening. <laughs> so make sure you subscribe. And I am going to try and get like along at least every two weeks an episode out. And now it's time for Tam's Top Tips. So tip number one is for Lesotho. And like I said, it's cold. You're usually around 3,000 meters or 2,000 meters. So make sure you bring some warm clothes with you. And the best time of the year to go is between August and October, which is their spring, and February and April, which is their autumn. And th their money is called Lesotho Lotties, but they also accept South African Rand. And it's about 15 Lotties to one US dollar. Most countries, you don't need a visa, but if you do, then you can get an e-visa. And things that you can do or see, obviously, is trekking, hiking through the mountains, like anywhere. <laughs> it's pretty much all mountains, which is stunningly beautiful. Obviously, don't get lost. I don't recommend that. So, yeah, maybe go with someone else. Bring a map, normal map, paper map, like the good old days. And then also you can, which I didn't know about, but it would have been cool, but you can go see like dinosaur footprints around Mirajo. And if you're there in March, March 14th, all the local people are called the Basutu tribe. So they all come out to celebrate the first king's, king's Basutu's ceremony day. So they all wear the traditional clothes and it's a big party. So that's March 14th every year. Okay, so that was kind of tip one and tip two. <laughs> tip three is for the free state. So where I was at the rest of this valley, which is like said, so stunning. So that's kind of a, a province or state of South Africa. And it's like, it's really beautiful. And it's pretty much made up of farmlands, mountains, gold fields, and not a lot more. But there are cool places like the Kiamun I stayed at that are dotted around there, which are little nuggets of treasures <laughs> so it'd be really cool staying there and like i said there is a big whether it's still happening or not but a big festival that happens at the beginning of may or april april 1st the 4th when i was there so it might have changed obviously if it's still going and then the capital of free state is called bloemfontein and for solo female travelers i would say like i felt maybe not 100 percent safe <laughs> sleeping in my tp tent in the police station, that front yard, but besides that, like I didn't have a problem. And yeah, I felt safe all through the city. Super nice people, despite the crazy dogs and no problems there. And I hitched, except for that one bus ride the whole way to Joburg. So no problems at all there. I mean, Joburg, different story. You know, it's a big city. Like all big cities, there's dodgy areas and there's muggings and things like that. So be aware of your surroundings. And at nighttime, I would definitely get like an Uber or a taxi for sure. 
like I said, I didn't really do much in Joburg, so I can't really tell you too much about it, to be honest. <laughs> in and out, I think, is enough. <laughs> okay, and for any more info, make sure you head to the website, manyroadstravel.com. And uh, we'll see you again very, very soon. And like I said, make sure you subscribe. Okay, until next time, safe travels, one road at a time. <laughs>